Today we're going to take a look at the topic of bold Christianity. Now I have no doubt that even in my mentioning those words, there is an emotional reaction of some sort in most of you here. This is a controversial subject. It's an emotional subject. For, for many, it's a frightening topic, and, and understandably so. We all know that there is an ugly battle being waged around this topic, in particular, around our nation. Our right and our calling to speak and promote biblical truth is being challenged and attacked. And those attacks are ramping up all in the name, th in, in the name of good things like what? Tolerance, love, acceptance, not being discriminatory or judgmental, etc. Matter of fact, when I opened my Christian news app just, just yesterday, the first headline was, Conservative United Methodists gearing up for church court battle over traditional plan, referring to the traditional biblical view of marriage and homosexuality. Here's, here's the first sentence from an article this past Monday. A church, that would be Cedar Park Assembly of God over in Kirkland, filed a federal lawsuit Friday against the state of Washington over a new law that forces them to cover abortions in their health care plans. But you don't, you don't even have to go to the federal level or the state level. Just at our SALT group this last week, one of the dads informed me that his young daughter was confronted by a teacher at school and told she is not allowed to share the gospel with other students. The list goes on and on. Many of you have issues that are very important to you and that weigh heavy on your hearts in regards to the moral state of this country. And while some Christians, like this young lady, are taking a stand, while there are some churches that are taking a stand and speaking up, many Christians are going undercover. Many of them are doing what they've been told to do, and that is to keep their beliefs to themselves. And even worse yet, many are modifying the gospel to fit cultural demands. Now, of course, we all know the gospel can't be modified. The Word of God never changes. It's people's presentation of it that can change, and many are. Rather than standing up, many Christians are stepping back. Entire churches, even entire denominations, are changing their beliefs because of the pressure and because of their view of the Scriptures. I am so thankful for the work of the Gideons. I think it's God's timing that He has us going through this Sunday School series right now as the Gideons arrive on the authority of the Word of God. It is not a good book, quote-unquote. It is the Word of truth that is inspired by God. Now, it must be said that sometimes change is good and change is right. There is a time to step down because the church is not immune to making mistakes. They are not immune to wrong positions, wrong biblical interpretations and applications. 
the church is capable of and has made many mistakes in its history. And sadly, they've often made them boldly. We've all known a bold Christian or two in our past who was a poor example of genuine Christ-likeness. The truth is, when we get called out for that kind of wrong behavior, wrong interpretation of Scripture, whatever it might be, we should be the first to change according to the Scriptures. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about change in timidity that is happening among those who call themselves Christians. Change in timidity that is contrary to the clearly written and understood Word of God. This is a devastating witness of God's people. And in a good way, it is challenging the beliefs of those who are trying to remain steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. If ever there was a time in our lifetime for believers to figure out how to find their biblical boldness, then now is the time. You know as well as I do that that will not be easy and it will not come without a price. But we know that it will be worth it especially in the light of the fact that we know that Jesus rescues us from the wrath to come. Biblical boldness is not an option for the people of God. As we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I trust that you're going to see what I have found this week, that these first six verses are most inspiring and guiding. If you and I are going to be bold... We want to make sure that we are speaking the truth. We want to make sure that we are right. Because if we're not right, we're not just wrong. We're big time wrong, right? These verses in chapter 2 point us to truth. They point us to what is right. And they contain a staggering amount of real life example and application in this matter of courageous and confident Christianity. Now, this is our first study in chapter 2, so I'd like us to read the whole chapter together to get the flow in the direction of where Paul is going here. And then we'll focus on these first six verses today. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we prove to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you would become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, 
how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hand of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us, from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exultation? Is it not even you? In the presence of our Lord Jesus, it is coming. For you are our glory and joy. This is the amazing word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we anticipate that you will teach and do good things in us through this text. Lord, we ask that you would be the one who reveals perfect truth to us. Lord, guard us from our own human-centered interpretations and applications. Lord, help us to allow these words to wash us, to continue to cleanse and sanctify us, that we might understand them as Christ does, that we might live them out as Christ did indeed that it would be Christ in us living them out. Thank you, Lord, for the boldness and the confidence you give your people. Thank you for the tender love you also give. Teach us today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you can see, this chapter 2 is an awesome text. Looking ahead, to give you a quick peek, next Sunday we're going to look at what Paul says there in verse 8, where he basically says, I'm not just here to give you the gospel, I'm here to give you my own life as well, because you mean so much to me. Wow. Can you imagine if God were to bless this church family with that kind of attitude and perspective? The following week, Lord willing... We're going to look at the last portion of the chapter where Paul says, you, it's you who are my hope, my joy, my crown, my glory. Just seeing you in Jesus' presence when he returns, that will be my crown of exaltation. 
wow again. Can you imagine if God were to bless this church family with that kind of a view of one another? You are my crown of exultation when the rapture happens. God is blessing us with that kind of blessing. But there is always more room for blessing. But first today, verse 1 in this matter of bold Christianity. Let's walk through the text and learn. Verse 1 begins with this phrase, For you know yourselves, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now we have to appreciate the certainty of effectiveness that Paul draws their attention and our attention to here. Our coming to you was not in vain. God made a difference. Paul's actually talking about the ministry that he and his associates had when they visited Thessalonica prior. The preaching, the establishing of the local believers of the local church, the ongoing functions of the ministry were not in vain. That means they did not fizzle out. We hear this echoed in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, which I alluded to earlier. My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Paul also says here in verse 1, you yourselves know, not just Paul, not just his travel companions and associates, but the larger congregation recognized the effectiveness too. This is an essential element of a healthy church ministry. Watch out for a church where the pastor is the only one who thinks everything's going great. Or a church board where he's the only ones who see progress. Everyone should see in a general sense that God is at work. He is changing people one issue at a time, one life at a time, one family at a time. This is an instructive and a bold statement by Paul. You know that our coming to you was not in vain. Verse 2, but after we'd already suffered and then been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. There's the theme of our study today, boldness in God. Now, to appreciate verse 2 and this incredible sequence of events that Paul just gave, we have to know a little bit about Philippi. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. This is, this is Paul and Silas. And remember that Silas is the same person mentioned here in 1 Thessalonians, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 as Silvanus. That's just another form of his name. So Paul and Silas showed up in Philippi, and they started preaching the gospel, and people started getting saved. And then, then what did Paul do? He called the demon out of the young slave girl. He freed her of that possession. And that's when things went south. Her owners saw that their home base business had just been ruined. So they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them before the town authorities where they were falsely accused. Then they were brutally beaten. And Acts says, and they were thrown into prison and locked with their feet in stocks. 
And what does the Bible say that these two fellows were doing about midnight? Praying and singing hymns of praise to God. That is boldness. That is confidence. You know how the rest of the story goes. A huge earthquake hit that night. And the scripture says it shook the foundation of the prison. And all the prison doors and the stocks, the locks that were holding the prisoners personally in, all flew open. The jailer saw it. And knowing what it meant to be employed by Rome, he immediately pulled out his sword and went to commit suicide. That's when Paul stopped and said, don't do it. We are all still here. See, see, Paul knew the situation at hand too. And what were the first words recorded out of that jailer's mouth? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? We could spend all morning considering the witness of these men in their suffering. What a testimony they must have had in that prison in those few hours that they were there so that when the earthquake struck, they knew what to ask. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's when Paul echoed the answer that changed the course of history. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You know that Paul and Silas were then released from prison. That's when the authorities found out that Paul was actually a Roman citizen and he had been violated of his rights. You, you know what Paul said. Word was sent to the prison, let those men go. He said, no, you come and let us go. This is your fault. There's some boldness for you right there too. Anyway, it is from there in Philippi that Paul then went straight to Thessalonica. Keep in mind, he and Silas had recently been beaten to a pulp and imprisoned. Acts 17, we need to read this to get the big picture. Verses 1 to 14. They came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, as Paul and Silas, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have upset the world. Remember what we said a week or two ago, if you live all out for God, people will notice. These men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Well, if the world is going to say anything about us, let it be that. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night too. Berea, 
And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Thus the phrase, be like the Bereans. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea. And Silas and Timothy remained there. So do you see the flow of events? Paul and Silas, beaten and imprisoned in Philippi, persecuted in Thessalonica, persecuted in Berea. And what does Paul say here in our text today? But we had the boldness. They found it. They had it. They experienced it. They proved it. They've been there, done that. It's one thing for the preacher or the teacher to stand up in front of the group and say, this is how it's supposed to work. It's another for them to get up and say, I've experienced it. I have it. It has been proven true to me. And it will be proven true to you as well. Paul says, we had the boldness. And as the phrase continues, the boldness in our God. That is perhaps the most foundational and enlightening point in this entire topic. We learn from this that we are not bold in ourselves. We aren't actually even bold in our witness. We are bold in our God. Our confidence, confidence is in Him and who He is and what He says and what He has done and what He can do and what He will do. We had the boldness in our God. Those last three words define the source of boldness. This is biblical boldness. Tapping into that power outlet changes the way we speak the gospel to others. That's what causes a person to run straight into the battle amid much opposition. Paul came out of prison and went straight into the opposition. And when it hit him hard, it's so hard there he had to leave, he went straight into it somewhere else. This teaches us, this boldness in our God teaches us that our boldness is not in our ability to dodge enemy fire. Now sure, there is some common sense and wisdom applied in how we engage the world. But Paul's example reminds us that our goal is not to dodge every source of opposition. Our boldness is in the very person of God and His ability to articulate and to defend and to empower His message. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is the boldness in our God that makes the difference in our witness. You know what word comes at the start of just about every excuse for not sharing the gospel? I. 
me. I'm not that brave. I'm not that clear. I'm not that bold. I don't know what will happen. I don't know what people will think of me. Well, just for the record, I can tell you what people will think. Most of them will choose the broad path that leads to destruction, and a few of them will choose the narrow path that leads to eternal life. Of course, that's not me predicting. That's Jesus foretelling in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Besides, last we checked, which was about 30 seconds ago, we are not the ones who judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We are not the ones who pierce the soul and spirit. We are not sharp. The Word of God is living and active and sharper. But just as we just as readily as we recognize that the excuses often begin with I, we also recognize that the secrets to true boldness will not start with I. I can do this. I can figure that person out. I can take it, etc. No, it is God. It's His message. It's His power in us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know that pillar of a verse in Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. We cannot afford to let these truths slip from our minds, these fundamental, elemental truths as we consider boldness. The boldness is not in us. It's in God. Woe to the Christian who runs straight into the battle, bold in himself. The verse continues to instruct us. Where was the boldness exhibited? In the gospel of God. Paul said, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God. Now, there are two quick subpoints on this. Paul was bold to speak the gospel. He was not bold to change people. Our duty is not to change people or to change society or to change governments. It is simply to speak the word and, of course, to live it. It is then that the word changes people. It converts societies it changes governments if God so wills. It is not us. And we know this, but it's so easy to lose sight. Secondly, we learn from this verse that it is God's message, not ours. The gospel of God. I'm afraid that Christians, including myself, often take rejection far too personally. It's not our message. There are no blanks for us to fill in. There is nothing for us to figure out on our own. We are just the messenger. And it is not just a message. It's the message of God, the word of truth. It is the very essence of God. In a way, we get the easy part. You know the saying goes, I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot. Praise God that the heavy lifting of changing people's hearts belongs solely to Him. We are just the privileged messenger. 
Paul dives deeper now in verse 3. Here are three marks of a human message or even of a divine message given in a human way. These are three warning signs. They are the evidences of being bold in self. Let's read verses 3 to 6. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. Now I read all of that because verse 3 is developed through the following verses there. Notice first the subject matter that is actually being addressed. It is Paul's personal exhortation of the gospel message. He begins verse 3 with, for our exhortation. Now, if we don't slow down enough to really consider each word in the sentence, we might miss how personal Paul just got. Paul isn't simply talking about the gospel message itself. Yes, it's true that the gospel has no error, no impurity, no deceit. And Paul's exhortation certainly includes that gospel. But he is specifically talking about how he taught the gospel, his exhortation of it, his teaching, his delivery of it. This would be the difference between the gospel and the actual sermon that Mark or I give, or Clay or Enrico, etc. Paul was turning the attention to himself and putting his personal ministry of the word under the microscope of proper evaluation. Even in verse 1, we see him clearly point out, our coming to you was not in vain. This is where accountability and personal responsibility kick in. Yes, we know that the Bible is free from error and impurity and deceit, but what about the way you and I teach it to others? What about the way we teach it to our children or share it with that Sunday school class? that neighbor, that co-worker, that friend. Let's be honest, it is easy for us as Christians to hide behind the gospel by saying, I'm not perfect, the gospel is. Yes, that's true, but the gospel is supposed to be making you and me more perfect day by day, more complete is the understanding of that word perfect. More mature than we were the year before, the month before, the week before. Paul is known for not pulling the punches as he delivered these letters to the churches. But he's also known for not pulling the punches on himself. He is hard on himself in his own writings if you look for it. And rightly so. Because the message of God it's too important for the messenger to mess it up carelessly. So Paul specifically lists three ways that he didn't mess it up. He says, our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. Let's look at these three points. 
First, there must be no error. That is a high bar, but it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change the fact that we still have to strive for it. When you and I pass on biblical truth, whether to our children or to our neighbor or whoever, there must be no mistakes, no partial inaccuracies or misinterpretations or wrong applications, etc. That is why we must be so diligent to personally study the Word of God, to study it for ourselves, to be ready to give it an answer in season and out of season. When someone asks you or me, why does God let this happen? Why does He let these bad things happen to people who didn't deserve it? You and I must be ready to speak truth. When someone is grieving the loss of a loved one, we need to know how to minister truth without error to them. The power is in the truth spoken accurately. Secondly, we see that there must be no impurity. Not that just that there shouldn't be any doctrinal mistakes or omissions, but that there should also be no moral error, no impure content, no dishonest or evil motive. That's why Paul says, I had no greed, no selfishness, no pride, no self-glory, we must remember that speaking biblical truth in pride comes very naturally for us. Speaking it for personal gain happens in the subtlest of ways. Paul says that the ministry of the word must be pure. Third, there must be no deceit, no trickery, no lying, no coercion, no flattery, he said, no cunning speech or manipulation. The word must be spoken and taught honestly, forthrightly, simply, completely. Three criteria, three requirements of the gospel messenger. That is quite a short list, isn't it? I'm afraid that that triple barrel shotgun disqualifies many people at least to some degree or another, who claim to be ministers of the Bible. We all know how tragic it is to hear of the greed that has infected church leaders and even organizations. Just five articles beneath the opening headline that I mentioned to you earlier was this one. Pastor convicted in historic hack-based insider trading, gets five years in prison, ordered to pay 14.4 million. Paul was actively taking up a collection for the saints, where? In Jerusalem, for the Jewish believers. And he was going from church to church, and he spoke heavily to the churches to be a part of what God was doing in Jerusalem. It is not without reason that he boldly affirmed that there was no greed in his exhortation of the gospel. He says, God is my witness. We humbly shake our heads 
when we read the Christian news and see the unreal amount of errored and impure and deceitful work being done in the name of God. Whether it's the prosperity gospel or the social gospel, the tolerant gospel, I mean, you, you make up a name for it. There are more errored versions out there than we can cap tr keep track of. But it is not just out there, friends. Am I the only one who at times teaches my children 99% truth and 1% error? Or to be even more specific, 99% truth and 1% greed? Especially when they have inconvenienced or bothered me? I trust every parent knows what I'm talking about here. You don't think there's any selfishness or greed in how we quote that Bible one-liner at our kids when they're fighting or disobeying their mother or whatever the case might be? Son, you honor your mother or it ain't going to go well for you today. That's basically what Ephesians 6 says, right? Wrong. Let us beware how easy it is to speak biblical truth and application for personal benefit. If only my wife would submit. Maybe we'll study that in family devotions tomorrow. Yeah, well, you know what she's thinking. I'm just waiting for you to lay down your life like Christ. This is terrible. But we are not so immune from doing this very thing. Paul, under God's inspiration, gives us three criteria by which we are to evaluate the ministry of the Word, or more specifically, the minister of the Word as he ministers it. There's application there for all of us. But to bring this near to the application that Paul was intending and referring to, you and I must hold this pulpit to the fire of those three biblical mandates. The ministers of the word must speak truth. They must speak it selflessly, and they must speak it honestly. Without it, the ministry goes forth. What does Paul say? In vain, to some degree or another. Paul understood this, and it's a big part of what fueled his boldness in God. He knew he was speaking the word rightly by the grace of God. Going back to verse 4, we see more keys to boldness. Paul said, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. This is so massive. For one, Paul knew that he had been approved by God. Think back to the road to Damascus. That was his approval. When the risen Jesus Christ miraculously struck him, blinded him on his way to persecute the church. That's what it looks like to be approved by God. God changed him. God sovereignly enabled Paul to meet the qualifications of a gospel messenger. And nothing less happens for you and me. It is by the grace of God alone that we have the privilege of speaking the word properly. That is the sovereign, that is the work of sovereign grace. And Paul recognized, listen closely, 
that he must not dishonor the honor that had been granted him, that had been entrusted him to speak the gospel. Boldness is not about you and me. It is about the gospel. Paul used that word entrusted, referring to a great responsibility. Entrusted by God. I mean, chew on that for a while. The God of all strength trusts you and me for something. He entrusts something to us. And that something is the gospel. It is the word of eternal life the very word by which the souls of men and women depend upon for salvation, eternal salvation, freedom from an eternal hell, access to an eternal heaven in the presence of God. We are entrusted with the gospel. It's not just a job. It's not just one of many responsibilities. We, like Paul, are entrusted with the message from God. How I'd love to be able to sit down with Paul Revere and ask him, what does it mean to be entrusted with a message? We can imagine what he'd say. Chris, the message is everything. Lives depend upon it. Every heartbeat beats for the message. It must be delivered. Death is not too high a price to pay for its safe and full delivery. The Apostle Paul was approved and entrusted. Are we any different than him as the children of God, the recipients of the gospel? Of course, we're not apostles, but we are approved by God. We have been entrusted with the gospel. There is boldness to be found there. Boldness in the sender who approves and entrusts. We could not ask for higher credentials. Think about that. And Paul clarifies that the goal is not to please or satisfy or gain the approval of men, but to maintain the approval that God has already entrusted him with and granted him. And the God who now examines him who examines us. But this is, this is not only the God who examines the exhortation, the preaching, the teaching, the work of the ministry. God goes deeper and He examines our very hearts. He examines what no man can fully see. That is the thoughts, the innermost desires, the motivations with which we speak biblical truth. No wonder Paul said, there is no impurity or deceit. Why? Not because men might find out, but because God will. That sovereign accountability drives a man or woman to be bold in their faithful declaration of the gospel. The ESV uses the word test here. The people around us do not administer the final test our enemies will not give our greatest test. God will. And that truth bolsters biblical boldness. Paul emphasized another point in verse 5. He says, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. 
There's another ingredient for biblical boldness. God is our witness. Point six, God not only sends us, he defends us. When the real trial starts, God himself will take the witness stand and testify of the accuracy, the innocence, and the honesty with which we passionately spoke biblical truth to others, assuming that's the case. Imagine God taking the witness stand on our behalf. Could we ask for a greater testimony? This is reason alone for humble, joyful, holy boldness in sharing our faith. Let's look at one final point. Paul's apostolic position would have most certainly given him the perfect opportunity to assert his authority over the new, new believers, particularly in the ways that he had just mentioned, flattery, self-betterment, personal glory. I mean, think about the flattery point there. In verse 6, he says, Nor did we see glory of men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Paul could have taken unbiblical advantage of his credentials. Can you imagine how wonderful it must have felt or would have felt to have been flattered by an apostle? Not to mention the greatest apostle, the one who did more work than all the others. What higher praise could a person receive, right? Did you see what Paul wrote on my Facebook page? Like, 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 124 likes. What about as an apostle, if anyone could have rightly requested financial support and even demanded it, it was Paul. He said so himself in 1 Corinthians 9, 6, do I not have a, a right to refrain from working? He's saying, I have a right to be paid, to be supported by you in the work of the ministry. He could have preached a prosperity gospel. And if anyone could have gotten wealthy off a deceitful delivery of errored exhortation, it would have been the Apostle Paul. But he didn't. If anyone could have soaked in the admiration of having heard the voice from heaven of the risen Jesus Christ, it would have been the Apostle Paul. If anyone could have soaked in the self-glory, the respect, it would have been Paul who worked harder again than all of the other apostles, but he didn't. We must beware the unique temptations that come with leadership, whether in the church or at home or at work, anywhere we have the opportunity to speak truth to others. It is too easy to misuse one's authority. In conclusion, we see that this whole text is actually Paul's defense of his exhortation, his exhortation of the gospel. He is defending his ministry. And this is his boldness in God. 
It goes without saying. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your elders, your board who leads the church. Pray for that one who stands and teaches the Sunday school class, the one who leads the Bible study. Pray for the parents who have a lengthy duty to teach the Word of God to their children as an authority in their children's lives. There is unique temptation to all of us that is actually not so unique. It has been there since day one of the New Testament church, as we can see. And it was way before then, just ask King David, ask Saul, who learned some of these lessons the hard way, if he learned them. Ask Adam. Paul says, even though we might have or could have asserted our authority, we did not. We see in these six verses that the life of holiness finds tremendous boldness in our God. When greed and pride, etc., creep in, guilt and shame are always in their shadow. It is hard to be bold when we know that repentance is due. Matter of fact, it's impossible because of the boldness is a lie. We are called to live what we teach. When the Jews came into Thessalonica and slandered Paul's ministry, when they formed mobs and falsely accused him and had him beaten and thrown into prison, etc., etc., Paul was able to look back and say specifically, particularly to the church, the people of God, you and I and God know that there was no error, no impurity, and no deceit in the ministry of the Word. Our boldness is in God, who approves and entrusts us with His gospel. We answer only to Him. May God give us the boldness we need to speak His truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we would not be so bold as to think that we can do this. But we do find great boldness in the grace of God, in the accuracy of Your Word, the purity of Your Word, the honesty of Your Word, Oh, Lord, as approved and entrusted messengers, may we, by the grace of God, meet those requirements of being a faithful messenger. Help us to find our boldness in you so that those who are not yet a part of the family of God may find eternal life and forgiveness of sin in the very words that come from our mouth, the message of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.